we can create a, a, a device-based kind of business ecosystem that is better and fairer and more democratic than this highly centralized digital ecosystem that we have. I'm Rudy Dogum, and this is Wholesome Crypto. Here, I speak with crypto experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs to find out what personally led them to the path of cryptocurrency. Today's guest is Paul Brody, global blockchain leader of Ernst & Young, where he drives initiatives and investments in blockchain across a variety of business lines. Welcome, Paul Brody, to the Wholesome Crypto Podcast Show. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Well, thank you for having me. I, I, I saw some of your other recordings. I'm, uh, I'm in a really good company here. Like, I'm a little flattered uh, <laughs> thank you. to be invited. Of course. I mean, you've done so much in the crypto space. You're currently a global blockchain leader in one of the biggest uh, companies, Ernst & Young, and you have a huge, awesome technical history behind you. But before we get into all the technical stuff and your crypto work and your blockchain work, where were you in life before even hearing about Bitcoin? Where was I? I was, uh, I was at IBM. Mm -hmm. um, I was a vice president at IBM. And uh, I, I had spent, I got, I got my start. So I have a very, very bizarre career history. So um, as an undergrad, as an undergrad, I, I took a class on African history and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. So then I took another and another and another. And after like five of these classes, I was like, you know what? I need to visit some part of Africa. I've been studying this, this continent, which is so different from everywhere I've grown up, everywhere I've been. And, um, and so I, I got a job. I got a summer job. And I've always been a bit of a nerd, but mm -hmm. I got a summer job working at the first mobile phone company in Nigeria. Wow. And what, what year was uh, that? I was 1994. It was an analog e-tax network that we built. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. Like I had, I had, I had an incredible time during the summer, so much so that at the end of the summer, uh, the the guy who had hired me, he's like, Paul, you take the year off, like take a year off. I'll make you the head of marketing for the entire company. <laughs> wow. Right. Sweet I'm like, deal. I'm not even graduated from college. Right. <laughs> and he's like, I'll make you head of marketing for the entire company. Right. You'll be the acting head. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll get to spend this time here. And you can travel all around the region. You know, we'll make sure you have plenty of vacation. You know, we'll even pay you a bit of money. So I did. I took them up on this offer. I would too. It was, well, my, now my parents were absolutely terrified. They're of like, course. He's not going to finish college. Right. <laughs> and this in those days, so I was living in Nigeria and, and in the United States at every airport, there was a little sign that said, the, the, I think it was the, the FAA, the Department of Transportation, advises passengers that Murtala Mohammed International Airport in Lagos, Nigeria, does not maintain adequate safety procedures. That's great and, to show. You yeah. know, every time my parents got on a plane, they're like, oh, our son is over there. And um, but I was fine. I had a great time. It was uh, it was really great. Nigerians are incredibly entrepreneurial. people. Like the country has terrible infrastructure. It's got uh, it's got really struggling at the time through the rule of law. And these people are putting together incredible businesses. They are, they're just like the most entrepreneurial people. They always figure stuff out. So for me, it was this kind of incredible experience of like seeing, getting to see an entirely new technology mm -hmm. kind of be deployed and, and really seeing the leapfrogging going. I mean, you know, Nigeria was a country of a hundred million people at the time and they have like half a million landlines and honestly, like wow. almost none of them works. Right. And here we are, we're, 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 we're selling the first cell phones. And, and now cell phones in Africa are super cheap. But in those days, we sold the phones for $1,000 each. Airtime was a dollar a minute. Payable in U.S. dollars, by the way. And people used to come in 
to the the office with like bundles of cash to pay their bills. Wow. Um, it was it was amazing. There was uh, an election while I was there. Uh, and then the, the current the military dictator at the time, this guy, um, uh, uh, his name is leaving me. He he didn't like the outcome, so he kind of canceled the results. And then it was a military coup, and we had martial law. Very entertaining. Not a dull moment. Yeah. Um, and I I got to see see all over Africa, and and then I came back uh, to the U.S. I finished college, and like that made me the most interesting job applicant. And everyone's like, "Who is this guy?" Yeah, you're... like we want to meet him. You're... Right? I didn't. <laughs> Anywhere I sent a resume, I got an interview. I didn't get a lot of job offers. I actually, I think, I feel like I wallpapered my college dorm room with rejection letters. They just wanted um, to hear your story, though. <laughs> they want to hear the story. Eventually, I wanted to be an investment banker. Investment banking did not want me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but eventually, I ended up in consulting, which was, was, was great because I was sort of scared of this idea to be bored. And I, I did a little bit of consulting. And then, you know, I, I've always loved technology. And I went into the startup track. I did. Uh, uh, two years at a, a, a um, supply chain planning startup called I2 Technologies. And then I did uh, a two years at a logistics company called ClearCross. Uh, and, and then, um, and this was like during the dot-com bubble. We burned through like $90 million in venture capital money and wow. in like two years. Wow. Um, I know, we spent crazy amounts of money. Like it was, yeah, that's how it was, it was full on, full on dot-com boom. And, uh, and then, uh, we went broke, and <laughs> I mean that's what the happens, bubble yeah. burst. And uh, I had this 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 aha moment. I was like, oh my gosh, I I, I don't you know I'm never going to make this up. I'm not like a founder type, so I need to sort of change up my career a bit. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be a founder mm-hmm. of a tech startup, but maybe you know I've got a good management consulting background. I've worked at a couple startups. I need to go ahead and learn to be adult supervision. Right? That's and a, the that's place that you room. learn mm-hmm. how to be adult supervision is IBM. So, and I had an offer from IBM and I went and I joined IBM in the supply chain business and I spent all told about 14 years now. Now, the irony is after eight years at IBM, I did become a co-founder of a startup. Um, Within IBM? It was, no, no, I left IBM. I Mm. started an online movie company with a buddy of mine Mm -hmm. who's no longer a buddy. We fought with each other the entire time. He fired me. Wow. Very sensibly. It's a marriage. uh, (laughs) I know, it's not a good marriage. Mm-hmm. Like we got married, we got divorced. Um, the startup went down in flames, wow. and I ended up unemployed. But it was it was a really good experience for me because it made me unemployed, being unemployed for like the second time uh, really ch- changed me a lot. And and it mostly changed me. And I, this sounds silly, but the second time around, I was married, right? And my husband got a great job, right? Uh, and um, I think about this all the time. I was watching this TikTok meme where a guy's like, I've got a better plan. I'll marry a wealthy man. <laughs> I was like, yeah, actually, I, I guess I kind of did that. So, you know, and it was it was incredibly liberating because um, IBM came back to me and said, you know, Paul, we, we, um, we'd love you to come back. And I was like, eh, I, don't, I don't know I want to. Yeah. And and, I, and they were like, well, surely there's something you want to do here because you were, you were really good at your job. And I was like, well. I want to be in charge of the whole electronics industry. I love, like, I was, a, to be honest, a kind of a mediocre director, okay. right? I was kind of mediocre. I was mediocre at being a, a bit of a salesperson. But I loved, like, the thought leadership, the strategic planning. I remember before I left IBM, I had been, like, the acting head of the industry for, like, six months while they, they built something, and I loved it, right? And I was like, well, I want to be the vice president in charge of the industry. 
And about three months later, IBM came back and they're like, you know what? That role is now based. And I, I, I took the job. Yeah, made your own role. And yeah, and it was awesome. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and, and the reason why it was so great, I mean, first of all, just for whatever reason, I turned out to be actually a much better vice president than like salesperson. I'm, I'm, you could like, I'm good at telling stories. Yeah, that's a, that's a, me, that's a salesperson too, is how well you can tell a story. The only difference now is that you don't have to also give them, uh, the quote, you can just say, I'll talk to the sales guy. Here's the whole story. Well, you know what? I, I, I'll tell you. I, so I'm, I'm actually quite a good project manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm a really good kind of storyteller visionary. I am the world's worst negotiator. Like <laughs> never. I am. A ter- I, okay, so I give my best offer immediately. Right. And then I get really upset. Like some like there's all these. My husband is a lawyer. He negotiates stuff all the time. And he you can't upset him. Like you can ask for something outrageous. And he'll be like, you know. That's not possible, but I, I you know, I respect that <laughs> ask, right? When, when you ask me, are you kidding me? I mean, do you think, do I look stupid? I get offended. I get angry. I get emotional, <laughs> right? And it just, it doesn't work. So I'm, I'm a terrible salesperson. I can never, like, I'm bad at closing deals. I get upset during the negotiations. I take it personally. Um, it doesn't work. So uh, that's why you have that so vision, that storytelling. You have that passion, emotion into it, and it's needed. So you need to like convince people, "Hey, this is what I see. I want you to see it with me." And I, yes, and I, I love the, I love the work of like figuring out how the world will be different. Mm-hmm. It was, it was amazing. And one of the greatest, the greatest perk of being a vice president at IBM in charge of an entire industry was that I was able to, I could, um, I had a research and development team. And every year we picked a new problem to kind of think big about, like could have been, you know, for the electronics, could be medical devices, semiconductors. Uh, And one year we picked the internet of things, Mm -hmm. right? All these connected devices that were coming. And we had clients that were coming to us that were saying, hey, we have a problem, right? We're we're gonna, we're starting to produce millions of these smart connected devices. And we don't really know how to monetize the devices. We don't know how to make money with the devices. But also, like, these devices cost a lot to manage, right? Yep. We're spending, like, you know, it's weird. Like, these super smart devices, which are everywhere, we're still paying money in the data center to manage them. And I was like, this seems really strange. Like, aren't these incredibly smart devices able to manage themselves? Like, can't my phone back up my computer, which backs up my iPad, which <laughs> yeah. backs up my you know, my smartwatch. And so I convened at him and I said, we should figure out how to make these smart devices like work in a mesh, like how to, you know, and then we could cut out all the, uh, all the sort of data center stuff and and things like that. And we should figure out how to make money from this as well. So long story short, one of the guys I worked with, he's like, have you heard of Bitcoin? Wow. And so we were talking about like how to figure out how to manage these, these networks of smart devices and to do that what we ended up doing what i ended up doing was uh one of my friends said hey paul have you heard of this thing called bitcoin and i was like yeah i kind of heard of it he's like well it's really it, it's like a distributed computer right and there's this guy vitalik buterin mm-hmm. right and he he thinks he can turn bitcoin into like a general purpose computing system and each smart device could have a node in this thing called ethereum and they could all transact with each other and i was like well that, that sounds really cool so we, we reached out and we started working with Vitalik. This was on the alpha version of Ethereum. Wow. And uh, it, was, it was super interesting. And um, he's, you know, he, he's a very kind of, he's also a bit of a visionary. He's not a big talker, but he definitely is a visionary. And between Vitalik and we had another guy, he created a thing called Telehash that was like for instant messaging. And then we added BitTorrent to it. So we had file transfer messaging and 
and contracts. And it was funny because at the time we sat down and were like, I don't know what anybody will want to pay for with the internet of things. But one day somebody will figure it out. And when they do, blockchain and especially Ethereum will be this mechanism where um, I can have contracts and payments and accounts. It kind of comes built in. Yeah. And I just thought this was awesome. Like it was transformational. We sold the vision actually to Samsung. We built something that was called ADEPT, uh, uh, Autonomous Decentralized Electronic Peer-to-Peer Telemetry. Was it blockchain-based? It's kind of. It a... was. It was based on okay. the alpha version of Ethereum. Nice. And we sold it to Samsung, and we built a prototype with Samsung of connecting like dishwashers and smartphones mm. and refrigerators and everything. It was amazing. We showed it at CES. There's actually I can dig it up for you somewhere. There's a picture of me and the IBM research team and Vitalik at CES in January 2015, showing the prototype. Wow. Yeah, I remember like IBM going hard into blockchain too later on with Hyperledger. Yes, but that was after I had left. At the mm. time, IBM actually was really lukewarm about this. And I, I don't know yeah. the whole history of why they were lukewarm about this, but they were not excited. Like the kind of like after January, after actually long before January 2015, we showed the prototype. We were basically told like, this is the final hurrah for this thing. You know, we don't want to do any more on this. And that was kind of for me, the end of the road then. I was like, you know what? I have found the thing that I want to do. And I went to EY to take a kind of a, a bit of a similar job, but with the understanding I could do a bit more blockchain. And with about, within about six months of getting to EY, so we managed to convince the senior leadership there uh, that we should make blockchain kind of my full-time job and we should build a serious, proper blockchain business around, uh, around that. So that's what we did. Yeah, and you, that's, it's, it's awesome because you're, you're recognized as a global blockchain leader for Ernst & Young. That's, that's an awesome title to have and awesome responsibility but how did, how did you um i guess how did you feel once you first heard about ethereum and then you started working into you know making that your passion your goal like sometimes like for me it, it took a little while like i always felt like crypto was part of my identity for a while but it was hard to make that leap into full-time crypto and f- for you it almost came it like naturally <laughs> it, it did that, i mean so t- two things happened so first of all when i was at ibm the you know, IBM doesn't do the research for free, right? They mm-hmm. or they don't do it for no purpose. Like they do it to make product, but even if they don't get product, they like to write papers about it. And so I spend a lot of time writing about it. And when you write about stuff, it forces you to really think through what are the full implications, yeah. right? And we wrote a paper, it was called Device Democracy. And the idea behind this paper was, you know, using blockchains, using Ethereum, we can create a, a, a device-based kind of business ecosystem that is better and fairer and more democratic than this highly centralized digital ecosystem that we have. And a lot of these ideas that we talk a lot about now, kind of, I figured them out, not before others, but for myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I became very convinced. I I became convinced about the value proposition, sort of being forced to sit down and write a bunch of papers about this stuff makes you think, okay, how, how will this change the entire world? And I came to the conclusion that it would change everything about every business relationship it would change about how we handle all our devices it would restructure the internet and uh and kind of all the business relationships that we have and once you once you start thinking about that you know i the one thing one thing i am particularly good at and i'm not i'm not a great software developer technology guy my my mother was a mainframe software developer my father was a nuclear physicist i always (laughs) tell people that makes me something of a disappointment right the econ major with a side in african studies um, but I'm good at writing. I'm good at telling the story. I convince myself and then I convince others. Mm-hmm. Um, now, EY is a partnership, right? So you have to 
so funny. People in, in blockchain sometimes are like, have you heard of this thing called staking? I'm like, yes, I had to take out a half a million dollar loan to oh, join wow. EY. Oh, wow. So I'm staked in EY and so are the other partners. And the, the thing that was scary and challenging and difficult is, you know, when you're a partner in EY and you're not hauling, you're not pulling your own weight, right? You're, you're investing the money and it's not generating big returns yet. You're starting out the business, man, you feel a lot of pressure. Yeah, I went, to, I remember going to a partner dinner once and, and sitting down with a bunch of, of, of partners and they're like, so Paul, when, when are you going to stop wasting our money on this blockchain? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sort of hoping we'll be, you know, sort of break even or profitable in like 2020, 2020 or something like that and that was not a good answer to give in like 2015 uh, but that's what so, a new tech is i think that's why all these large companies are so lukewarm about it is because uh we have to wait 10, 10 years and it's risky for a return like i don't who wants to do that as a company that has to give quarterly earnings right and we are so fortunate when i left ibm i swore that i would never join another publicly traded company like ey is a partnership we don't do we don't have to do anything silly at the end of the quarter. I mm. mean, obviously, if we screw it up, that's my paycheck, yeah. right? That's that's my paycheck. That's my peers' paycheck. But we don't have to. There's no industry analyst I have to please, right? There's no uh, at the end of each quarter. You know, we don't really worry much about the end of the quarter. We worry about the year as a whole, right? But there were a lot of skeptics. There were a ton of skeptics. You know, the business was tiny. I mean, I can remember. It's so funny. Like, we, we don't disclose the details yet. But I, I can tell you, last year, uh, you can do the math, right? But last year, we, we disclosed that we've exceeded a $100 million annual run rate, wow. right? And, and our compound annual growth rate is well above 100%. So it's like a real business now. But, but divide everything in half like six times. I can remember the first $50,000 deal. I can remember the first $100,000 deal, the first million dollar deal. I thought, oh my God, this is amazing <laughs> and scary. What are we going to do? And, you know, and, and then, you know, EY, we're an accounting and professional services firm. And I'm like, I want to hire a bunch of nuclear physicists and mathematicians <laughs> so that we can work on blockchain privacy and then give it away. And everyone's like, you are, cr- you're insane. Like, you know, it's, I, I, I figured out, it's very funny. So, uh, a couple of, uh, Months ago, my, my oldest son, he was applying to high school. Then, you know, those silly questions that ask, like, if you could be anima- any animal, what would you be? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm a salmon. I'm always <laughs> swimming on stream. Like, I realized that that's like going my through skin. bears. Like, <laughs> yeah. And um, it, it so so in the early days, like getting it going was tough. And there were a lot of skeptics. I think I did a good job of selling the vision to our senior. I sold two important things to our senior leadership. First, I, I said, and I stand by this, even if the blockchain business isn't successful, if we do some cool stuff, it will improve EY's brand image and will actually be cheaper than a big ad campaign. Yeah, sense. Secondly, um, I convinced EY that we really need to have some serious math skills. I wanted to work on privacy because I believed in public blockchains and I knew that private blockchains would work and you had to have privacy on public blockchains. But to, to figure that out, we had to have true researchers. And the message I delivered inside of EY is, you know, we're about to sign off on a bunch of audits. And many people don't realize this about the audit business. There's no such thing in the audit business as limited liability. Liability in audits for incompetence or failure is unlimited. And we're a partnership. That means every last nickel. Yeah. So I said, are you sure that you want to be signing off on financial statement audits for companies that use a technology that's based on math and cryptography in a firm which does not have a single mathematician or cryptographer? It doesn't matter. And they're like, whoa. 
they're like, well, that sounds risky. I think we need to go and get some mathematicians. And so we did. And, and, and like, effectively we had the nightfall, the, the privacy research team constituted and we got going and, you know, we've been sort of stepping our way up a little bit at a time every year for the last few years. That's amazing. You're finally seeing your vision come, come to fruition. And I wanted to know, like, as a child, were you always this visionary? Would you always have like, I wanted to change the electronic world or you kind of just like, what was your, uh, your just like idea of growing up to adulthood? I was always very, I was always very opinionated. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I was always like really opinionated, hyper, sort of hyperactive and curious. Um, and uh, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a visionary. Like one of the things that has been great about getting older and getting more confident and the, one of the things that really, like, I was a very insecure kid, and uh, um, but coming out of the closet is hard work. Like, you have to come out all the time, Can't right, imagine, over yeah. and over and over again. And so you lose a lot of your fear when you go through all this process. You lose your fear when I um, uh, when I was unemployed, uh, uh, in, when my startup failed. Like, and I realized, like, the world hasn't ended. I'm married to somebody who brings some of the bacon, and. <laughs> Uh, I realized like, wow, there's things I want to do. I don't need the money. I care about the outcome. And that also means that I, I can go and work someplace and I don't have to do anything I don't want to because the worst thing they can do is fire me. And that's really not that bad. Um, and I have to tell you, it probably has made me insufferable as a person to work with, but I am very, I'm just super clear about what we're going to go do and, and what matters to me. And it's not, it's not the quick, it's not the quick hit. It's like to transform the entire business world. Plan. Why didn't you just work for Ethereum directly? So, or with a couple of things, mm-hmm. right? Probably part of it is like uh, deep down in my own heart of hearts, even though I sort of really know that I'm probably going to be fine, I do sometimes still worry about money and I want to get paid. Naturally, uh, um, you know. Secondly, uh, I think one of the things I came to the conclusion of early on is that when you work in one of the world's largest accounting firms, mm-hmm. and somebody says, "Hey, is this blockchain thing okay?" and you say yes. That has weight. It has way more weight. Than it does. I've been at startups. I've been at IBM, right? When a startup says, this will work, you really don't know because you know, the startup doesn't know. I work at, we have no idea. Most startups, like we are, when you work at a startup, you are selling a product. You have no idea if it's going to work. You don't. Right? Yeah, absolutely. When IBM says, we understand this technology, it might be true. It might not be true, but, but the brand name says we're a technology company. When EY says, you're probably not going to prison for using crypto, right? That's powerful. It 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 it, it clears away. People are like, our accounting firm signed off on this, right? If the yeah. accounting firm that does our audit says it's okay, then it's okay, and we should stop worrying about it. And so, what I came to realize pretty quickly is this is a really powerful platform to get enterprises. So individuals and startups, they are extremely risk tolerant. They go do cool stuff all the time. Big companies, the ones that invest hundreds of billions of dollars in in big infrastructure, they're risk averse. They need somebody to come and say, this is going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's amazing because I think you prove a great point is that there's so many different angles to look at cryptocurrency and blockchain as a whole. And you have to attack it from every angle and you have to give as much support from every angle too. It can't just be the Ethereum ecosystem saying, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. We're going to work it out. But if we have, there's also the Ethereum Alliance where they have all these big name companies saying, yeah, we're backing up Ethereum. It's going to, it's going to work. And it does and get- this, so, and mm-hmm. this is the, 
you know, you sort of really touched on something which for me is, in, in my mind, is one of the best parts about the Ethereum ecosystem. I'm not the only person here who has this kind of mission focus, right? Yeah. I mean, you see it in Vitalik, right? You know, he is a remarkably, like, at heart, a, a quite a modest guy, right? There's a, a story, I, I think I was rereading somewhere about how, like, when the Ethereum Foundation was set up, he, like, said he didn't care what his title was. Like, he, he could have accrued for himself a lot of power, but what's really impressive about the Ethereum ecosystem is he didn't take the power for himself. Even though he had a lot of moral authority, he made a choice to create an institution. And today, Ethereum is governed by a bunch of really boring committees full of really boring people. And I say that with like love in my heart, like these people are amazing. They are interested, they are interested in making stuff work. They're interested in doing it properly. Look at the testing for the merge. And testing for the merge is incredible. Like they built a couple of test nets and merged them together. They found like one error, right? And they're going to go and do it all over again, right? And that kind of tedious attention to detail, which I can appreciate because I work in an accounting firm. Yeah. That is what you want in what is going to become the global economic and financial infrastructure. No shortcuts. Vitalik's a modest guy. This place is populated. It's out coming at the eyeballs with people who are mission-driven, generous. Uh, there are so many accidental gazillionaires in the Ethereum ecosystem. Like These are not people who care about the money. They don't even really know what to do with it, right? And I talked to entrepreneurs, um, the guy, Patricio Wortalmer, who's the, the head of Co-op, the Proof of Attendance mm -hmm. Protocol. Like, he's... He, if you were a typical Silicon Valley guy, he'd be talking about scaling his business. When I chat with him, he's focused on, yes, I want to scale Pope, but I also, I don't want to just be a Web3 version of like Swarm, right? I want to preserve the, the, the ultimate Web3 nature of what we do, the genuinely decentralized component. Like there's a level of mission-centric, like change the world vision that you're in, in this incredible company right where i feel in the best way possible inadequate not particularly accomplished you know professionally jealous of the skills and talents of other people and if i feel like that that must mean you know that if i if i'm constantly looking up to other people and being impressed with them like that's good for me yeah. that's that i i, I I know from my own life, like I rise to the occasion. I can, I, I, it makes me want to do even better. Yeah, so exactly. this is a, it, it, it's an extraordinary community and it's very, it's really good to be a part of that. And it's, it's so different from a lot of other sort of industry communities. Mm -hmm. And you're surrounding yourself with people that you want to work with. That's uh, they're saying like, you're most like the five people you surround yourself with every day. And yeah, the more you can surround yourself with that, the more you're likely to grow into that type of uh, role or uh, leadership. So it's, it's, it's a beautiful example. And yeah, the co-op team is awesome. So I'm glad I got to meet them in East Denver. Now that you're in this uh, Actually, I mm -hmm. spent time with Patricio in, in Argentina over Christmas because uh, we went there over Christmas. That's so cool. So he's met my, I, I've met his girlfriend. He's met my husband. He's met my kids. Uh, um, they're, uh, it's, it's fun to, to, to meet all those people. That's so awesome. And that's, that's why I love crypto. It's global. There's no, uh, red tape between people. Um, so now that you're in this crypto space for so long, it's 24 seven industry surrounds your mind, your life. It's hard to get away from it. There's no like off switch. 
But what do you do on your off time? What do you do to like kind of maybe decompress from crypto or do you just nothing else matters? No, no, no. I definitely decompress from crypto. And in some respects, like, okay, I'm a very, okay, like, like a lot of like nerdy, insecure kids from high school, I spend way too much Mm -hmm. time at the gym. I'm definitely making up for like past insecurities. So I I go to the gym. my husband got me into bicycling, which I've, I've really come to love. And I do like a couple bicycle trips every year. Nice. I've got two kids now, which is a pretty substantial responsibility. Yeah, uh, I'm not there yet. Um, two kids and a dog. So uh, that part is is great. And in fact, one of the things that is really awesome is um, is being able to do kind of more grown up things with your kids. Like mm-hmm. um, my, my youngest son now is uh, he started running on the track team and we go running together for like nice long runs. And that is just awesome. I mean, it's, it's great. And I, I really admire and respect people who can get down on the floor and play with Legos with their kids. But I didn't love that as much. But when we, the kids and I can do the same thing and we're all liking it, that's, that's kind of amazing. So I feel, I feel like I have a really, I have a very full life. I'm ridiculously fortunate. Um, uh, but the, the physical activity is really, I feel like is super important for my health my mental health yep. right kind of clearing my head um yeah there's that and um, yeah i would that's... say that that's probably the main thing kids family uh a little bit of exercise and yeah a lot of like blockchain and crypto <laughs> are your kids into it too or you trying to um, not rub it off on them like that not yet just continue enjoying no 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 kid. i think they so they're kind of absorbing it by osmosis yeah they know they sort of know a lot about it and they they watch like sometimes they'll watch like the EY keynote addresses and things like that, and they, they go hang out with the people. But they're kids, right? They're, they'd rather play Fortnite. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Oh man! So being again in the crypto space, what is your crypto pet peeve? So I mean, I have a couple of things that really burn me up. So private blockchains. Yeah. Like to to believe that private blockchains are real is to switch off your critical thinking faculties. What is the point of a decentralized, centrally run ledger? Like, why? (laughs) To me, it's, I don't know what it is, but I have never been able to wrap my head around it. And and I'm I'm incredibly stubborn on this topic. Like, so so there's that. um, I'll two or three, like, so, so the whole private blockchain thing drives me bananas, right? And, and I'm so tired of litigating it with like a million people. Um, this idea that we're going to have like a multi-chain future, I don't get it either. And the thing is like, okay, I'm a big believer. If there's a, if there's an expression that I really love, it's like those who don't lo- learn history are condemned to repeat it. Mm-hmm. I love studying the history of technology. And, and it's just incredible. And what's amazing is over and over and over again, like, this history repeats itself in the sense that technology industries love standardization. We don't have 25 different internets. We have PCP, yeah. IP, yeah. on Ethernet, right? Uh, Windows is 90% of the PC business. Android is 90% of mobile phones. Industries consolidate around broadly held standards, right? IBM has 100% of the mainframe business, right? Um, so somebody needs to explain to me if, if that's... If that's how history has worked out on nearly every single technology platform, now tell me why you think we're going to have like 20 different blockchain kinds? I, I still think we might only because we're humans. Humans have such a need to build their own version better until it becomes so, it just becomes too much to like, you can't like build anymore. So, but that's, like, there's always going to be big so there's always going to be a, Ethereum, maybe Solana or Cardano, whatever. I don't think so, but you said. You should, by the way, you should interview this guy. He's super brilliant. He's called Horace. His name is Horace DeVio. He runs a website called asymco.com, A-S-Y-M-C-O.com. And um, 
he's a bit of a tech analyst slash historian, mm-hmm. and he spends a lot of time thinking about stuff like this, about technology adoption, things like that. And what you just described is what engineers want to do. Engineers look at Ethereum and they think I can do better. It's always like that, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody looks. It doesn't matter what you make. I'm an look engineer, at it, by the way. Engineer, pardon. I'm an engineer, You're by not the way. An en- I am. You are an engineer. <laughs> yeah. My mother was an engineer. This is what engineers do. They look at something like I can do better, right? I want to and. The, the number one thing that engineers want to do on any project is start with a clean sheet of paper. They don't want to start with something else. If it was up to most engineers, they'd start with like, you know, a bare sheet of paper and a pen and they would design the chip, right? I mean, it, it and, and they would go up from there. Like they, that is how engineers work. They love starting with a clean sheet of paper, but it's not something that everybody is afflicted by. Like a lot of business people, they, they look at ethereum and they say that'll do right and and try to remember and and this is the fun thing and i'm i'm really old so i can talk about this but go back to the 1980s right probably before you were born (laughs) um windows pcs were terrible i mean mind-bogglingly awful right it was it was absolutely appalling and microsoft had this bizarre limitation that you couldn't have more than 640 kilobytes of ram that was it. And back then, but yeah. Uh, and, and so it was a terrible experience. And there were all these better platforms out there, like uh, the Mac, Commodore Amiga, Atari ST, Next. And here's this like really clunky PC, um, but it's cheap, it's widely available. Microsoft eventually came up with a workaround. And the first thing that uh, like people said that the workaround that let you have more than 640 kilobytes of memory was that this is like the most inelegant, kludgy hack that they've ever seen. And that's how standards work, right? When you when you sit down to write a business application that's intended to be used on sorry, corporate desktops, you don't think to yourself, what's the best PC operating system? Yeah. You just think, I'm going to make it for Windows because that's what people have. And that's how these ecosystems get born. And, and I always, I, I have a joke that I tell, which no one seems to find funny. <laughs> Let's see but, if I do. Uh, I always say like, okay, the best technology wins. And, and, and because of that, we know, for example, that once upon a time, somebody invented a better transportation technology than the wheel. We don't know what it is. We'll never know what it is. But the only thing we know, is, the only thing we know for sure is that there must be something better because today we use the wheel. <laughs> According to that, yeah, I guess so. We'll never know. Right. Damn. But <laughs> it's true for everything that we use, right? Uh, Windows is not the best PC operating system. Android and iOS are not the best possible mobile operating system. But they have this this combination of enough yeah. users and enough developers and enough critical mass. And the result is that they win. And uh, and I see the same thing happening with Ethereum, right? And and I'm not criticizing Ethereum. I, I, I think the Ethereum ecosystem is full of really high-minded people who are doing an amazing job. But any system that gets large and complicated and has legacy is going to have some mess attached to it, Yeah. right? And And as a result... People are going to come, they're going to look at that and be like, I can do better. But in doing so, what's happening is a lot of people are confusing efficiency with effectiveness, Hmm. right? So engineers look at this and say, I can do better. I can make it more efficient. I can cut transaction processing costs. I can improve cycle time, right? Business people and users look at this and say, that's the big marketplace. That's where we're going. That's where the money is. That's where the customers are. So that's where I'm going. And that's why I believe Ethereum will win. By the way, the same way that Windows that we use today... There, and there's a, there's a couple related sort of lessons from history. One is, yes, Windows and MS-DOS 
1984, 1985, 1989, etc. was terrible. It was way worse than the competition. But it didn't stay completely awful, right? They, they, they keep improving it. And, you know, this is how technology works. Somebody else comes up with a cool idea. They come up with a clever way of implementing something. It gradually gets absorbed into that thing. Maybe not as fast as we would like, mm-hmm. but it gets absorbed in there. The product gets better and better and better over time. Right. I mean, anybody who used Windows today who was like sort of transported here in a time warp, be like, wow, this is incredible. This is amazing. Can't believe how good it got. Right. Because and, and if you're an engineer, you might look under the hood at Windows or iOS or anything and be like, oh, my God, you know, iOS, yeah. Android, it's built on Unix. My mother works on Unix <laughs> in the 1960s. It's still I mean, alive. It's still alive. Right. I cannot believe that in 50 years, we couldn't come up with something really fundamentally better, right? I'm sure we could. So these things get better, right? Ethereum will keep getting better. It will be perfect. Mm -hmm. It'll have legacy debt, but it'll also have the size in the marketplace. And that same process will will continue. And by the way, the other weird thing that people don't realize is, you know, Windows and and MS-DOS won the day in like the mid-1980s. No one's been able to knock them off that top slot. Ethereum has won the day, and I will bet you money that in 2050, it's still the main blockchain ecosystem. Okay, let me just write that down. (laughs) I hope so. I mean, yeah, I'm rooting for Ethereum. I love their community. I love their ecosystem. I think, like you said, they're robust testing their uh, they really care about their blockchain other than look at us pump our price. It's like the last community to really care about the value of their tokens. But I care about, yeah. but I care about like the technology, not the value. <laughs> right, um, and the transformation it will cause. And yeah. That's why I'm, I'm very sympathetic to the comments that Vitalik made the other day about, about NFTs. I don't think he was dumping on NFTs, no, yeah. but I, I share a little bit of this philosophy as well. Like fundamentally... I'm a bit of an idealist and I, I don't want blockchains to be used to create more scarcity. We have enough scarcity, right? Um, I want to see, you know, I believe we're headed towards an era of abundance, right? I'm a big believer in like that, that, that our future is one of tremendous abundance and wealth and, and a much more equitable system. Like I, people talk about how there's privilege, right? Yeah. I love all the discussion about privilege that we all have. I the one thing I always hate about that discussion is I don't want I don't want to I don't want people to make the world a better a more equal place by leveling everybody down. That we make the world a more equal place by kind of giving everybody more privilege, right? Yeah. Um and and we should give everybody more stuff and more wealth and more opportunity and all of those things. And we'll never get around the fact that some part of our economy, some part of our world is scarce. And what I want to see blockchain do is make the best, fairest, most efficient allocation of that which is scarce. But I have to admit, like a lot of the stuff that you see going on in crypto is about creating artificial scarcity. And that doesn't excite the idealist in me. It feels like a status game or something else. And what I really want to see is like more for everybody. Yeah, and I totally, totally feel that I understand. And part of me is like, yeah. And another part of me is kind of, thankful for nfts only because look how much attention it brought to ethereum mainstream media celebrities people just ethereum ethereum the, like, it's becoming more widely understood i mean now people are like oh what is an nft so they start diving in and hopefully their idealism starts kicking in when they start really researching what ethereum is that's the hope and I, i'm with you I, like They've done other content is great. Execution is, is really amazing. It's come a long way. But some of the more aggressive efforts to just make money yeah. to sort of monetize stuff. Like again, I feel I feel like some like old fart, you know, I 
guilt about it. I, I don't want to stop it. Like, I want to be clear. Like, yep. it's, a, you know, I don't want to stop NFTs, but I have a hard time really caring about a piece of digitally generated art that was probably primarily created for the purpose of generating some, some you know, quick sale. I love the idea of artists getting paid more. I, I feel exactly. like some, you know, I just- People are gamifying like, it. A, right. Some of this is, it's just like the ICO boom, right? There's yeah. pump and dump and there's, there's people here, there's, there's people who are here to make a quick buck. In fact, a lot of times I talk to people about the, the, the culture of, it, of the, of the blockchain ecosystem. And in this culture of the blockchain ecosystem, you have these, these people who are sort of somewhat uneasy, uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, contributors together, right? You, you've got, you've got your like quick money folks, right? They're there to, to pump a token and, and get out of there. Yeah. Right. Um, you've got your Ethereum idealists. They're there to build. They're not ungrateful though, because the, the, the token pumpers are helping make them quite wealthy, but that's not their end goal. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a, sometimes it's an uneasy coexistence. Right. And I don't think we'd be as successful without some of the more hardcore capitalists, because that's how our society runs. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have a hard time getting enthusiastic about some of the really extreme examples of that. Yeah. And and that, I, if I have another pet peeve about the, yeah. not Ethereum specifically, but more broadly, the blockchain ecosystem, mm-hmm. it's the hate that can be directed at anyone who criticizes Bitcoin or dumps on NFTs or, or really, um, you know, Criticism, thoughtful criticism is really useful. And uh, there are people in this community who do not react well to that. Yeah, it's, it is tough. It's a lot of uh, my blockchain is better than your blockchain. It's like, all right, let's just maybe work together. Uh, that's an idea. <laughs> but it's tough for them to do. Um, so then I also wanted to ask you, um, being in the ecosystem, being in the uh, blockchain space, a lot of young people are trying to enter in and develop their career, their life. You know, what advice do you have for them? Like, getting into something there you know this new space so uh, i think i'm not going to tell people like follow your passion because (laughs) uh um it's good but the thing you always have to remember is like you've got to roll up your sleeves and you've got to be able to like add value and a lot of times like when i and and people call me all the time inside of ey or other you know they they email me and stuff and they're like paul how can i get into this or i'm I'm currently an accountant or an auditor Mm -hmm. or a consultant how do i get into this I, i sort of you know typically there's two paths i Path number one, know something in great depth. Be really good at something that's not related to blockchain, but can be transformed by blockchain. Mm. If you understand banking, you are really valuable because banking will be transformed by blockchain. If you can if you can be incredibly expert at banking and pretty good at blockchain, you're valuable to us. Yep. Right? Uh, it also works the other way around. If you are an incredible developer, but you can also take some time to learn about an industry, so you're really deep in one area and you know a little bit about another, again, you're really valuable to us. But it, the foundation of getting into anything is being really good at something that's important for it, right? And being really good means uh, putting in the hours and the time to go through the details and become expert in some aspect of it, right? Yeah. I spent many, many years in the world of supply chain. Um, I know all about lots of ridiculously obscure <laughs> things about supply chain. I know uh, about EDI messaging. Um, and it's really funny, you know, we keep reinventing stuff. EDI, and I, I love, I lo- do you know what EDI is? I don't. Ah, <laughs> this is so amazing. So EDI stands for Electronic Data Interchange. And it's, the way I explain it is, this is like business to business text messaging. Uh-huh. And it, it started in the 1970s. And a, a bunch of committees in the 1970s 
sat down and worked out what do businesses need to say to each other electronically, right? And mm -hmm. it boils down to, I want something. Would you please send it to me? Tell me how much it's going to cost. Tell me how much you have. Tell me if you shipped it. Send me the bill for it. I'm, I'm, I've received it. Um, I've sent you payment, et cetera. Like, so there's a bunch of these standard messages. Like uh, EDI 856 message is a advanced shipment notice. It basically says, you asked for these items. I'm sending them to you. This is the tracking number of this carrier. Well, if you're trying to build a business-to-business -business blockchain application and you're some industry analyst or some, some EY kind of software developer and you're sitting down saying, gosh, what, what, what should be in one of these messages? I'm like, dude, already done, <laughs> right? It was literally done 40 years ago. You'll look at these things that will tell you, like really smart people spend a lot of time sitting down thinking about what should be in this. And so uh, learning all that stuff, like being really expert at it, all the obscure, ridiculous supply yeah. chain stuff I know, it's really useful. And so that's the that's the thing that, that uh, I would tell people is like, go learn something in detail. And, uh, um, you know, learn it at such a level that you can tell people who know nothing about it, something really interesting and fascinating, like the fact that businesses have been basically text messaging, messaging each other for 40 years. Yeah. Wow. I didn't, even, I didn't even know that. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Oh, it's an amazing business. In the early days, you know, they used to charge per character. Well, I mean, I was living in a time where it was per text message or per, like, you know, call or whatever, but I didn't know it was per character. Wow. Per character. Yeah. I mean, I found out about this. I was like, oh, my God, that's an amazing per character. <laughs> right? No wonder everyone was so efficient with what they had to say. <laughs> uh, so for one of my final questions, I'd like to know, what is your uh, favorite wholesome crypto moment? Some moment warmed your heart in crypto or made you smile. Um, you know, the, the wholesome crypto moment, and if the, I, I can't think of any one particular one, but the, mm -hmm. the ones that I love are these stories where the crypto community just decides that somebody, some injustice needs to be righted, somebody needs to be helped out, and like all of a sudden they're sitting on a pile of crypto, right? And yeah. uh, I, may, maybe I should be more specific. I think one of the things I, I especially love is the way the crypto community has come together to decide that we need to do better when it comes to open source software, right? Yeah. And we, in terms of like the public service component, right? These, these Gitcoin grants, that this process of funding public goods, this idea, it's not just like, hey, we're going to donate a bit of money. It's much more like, and, and I love the ambition. This is what's amazing. Like people in the crypto community, don't just say oh, we should give a little money to those poor people who are maintaining that enterprise software or that 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 piece of free software. They say we should transform how public goods are created and make it better, fair, and more rewarding. Yeah, that's that's not like plugging a leak. That's kind of rebuilding the whole dam and transforming the business. And I I love this amazing combination of the kind of ambition you usually only see in big time entrepreneurs with an interest in public service. Like when you see those things come together, that is something that I think like my legacy, right? When they write my obituary, which hopefully will not be for a while. Yeah, hopefully not. They will say, I will, I will be able to say, or I will know that I made a small but non-zero contribution to truly making some of these things happen. That's amazing. And yeah, just by, yeah, it's a thing, just contribute and add value to the ecosystem now. So thank you so much, Paul, for joining me here today. I really appreciate it. I, I'm excited to see what you're developing and doing. And I'm going to watch you like eyes to the top again. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Good night, everybody.